And good morning. Uh, what a week. Uh, been busy, busy, busy. Uh, all year I've been hunting and finally got uh, a great property. Um, I'm going to open S1. So I'm excited and also have an offer on my building. I've been trying to sell. But before all that, how you all doing? Let me see who's over here. Um, hey, good morning, Amin. And we'll wait a few more seconds for you guys to join. Uh, we got awesome questions uh, for this week that I'm gonna have Logan read off. And then I'm gonna share with you guys the two buildings, uh, one I'm selling and one I'm buying. I'm super excited. Um, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be an awesome year. I'm working on another one, which um, I don't wanna share yet because I haven't got my offer accepted, but that's another big one I've been hunting and chasing. There's six offers on, but the one in Green Gables is the one in Arizona. I just got an offer for 5.6 million all cash, 30 day escrow, and I bought this for 4.3 uh, million and I sold the roof for 827,000. So all it'll net me about $2 million profit. And I only put $400,000 cash down and I used my $4 million line of credit to buy it, which is unusual. But as you guys build your credit, you'll be able to access these unsecured line of credits from your retail bank that you build a relationship with. Um, this is from a bank I've been working with for 10 years. So I'm super excited. And then the one I'm, uh, Going to open escrow is going to be um, 1901 Newport. I don't know if I shared this with you guys. This is a building um, across from Nike Town in Costa Mesa. It's a 40, $41 million uh, purchase, but it's an absolute trophy location. And my uh, agenda with that investment is to repurpose it, take it from office, general office to medical office. There's already six tenants that are medical in the building. And there is enough parking to convert about 56,000 more square feet. And um, I'm already in talk with Chuck and some other medical tenants. We're going to be opening escrow today or tomorrow. And I'll share, you know, uh, more with you guys as things develop. But uh, let's get going with uh, this week's question since we only have 30 minutes. And I'll have um, Logan read those questions off to me. Good morning, everyone. What's going on? Happy Tuesday, as always. And I want to give a shout out to Amin, Raul, George, Arby, Tina, Dean, Russell. Great to see y'all here, as always, every week. Uh, love seeing you join. And the first question today is going to be from Tina. Um, she said, do you invest in real estate, SaaS, so software as a service apps? Mm, if you mean investment as an investor or invest in terms of a business tool um if it's a business tool yes uh, we do use yardy there is two big softwares uh that you know landlords use when it comes to commercial uh investment properties it's uh, mri or yardy and i've used both and we love yardy uh, now if you have a smaller uh you know size properties with under 30 40 tenants you can still use the QuickBooks and QuickBooks right now is on cloud. You pay a subscription so you can access it anywhere. That's sufficient for, you know, uh, investment of, you know, 40, 50 tenants. But as you get bigger, you know, 
three, four, five hundred tenants, um, especially multi-estate. You want to use a, a, a professional management uh, company software, which Yardi is what we use. And then she did get some contacts and say yes to an investor standpoint. Oh, no. I mean, I have invested in a couple of companies, but they're really not uh, a SaaS. They're more of a crowd uh, crowdfunding uh, platform. Um, Fentor is one of them. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I learned long time ago is, is stay in your lane. So <laughs> I, I dabble a bit on investments, but 98% uh, of my money goes into properties. All right, we got George in the house as well. You can see George. Uh, the next question is from Jonathan. He said, what's the best way to verify the details of every expense attributed to the property? Well, the best way to get it is uh, from the horse's mouth. Uh, so I like to get certified profit and loss expense, uh, profit and loss report from the seller uh, during due diligence. And it, you could even take that further and ask them for their tax return. And you look at the schedule E if they own it personally um, and just look at that property, what they reported in terms of expenses. But usually profit loss expense uh, report does give you the detailed expenses breakdown. All right. And then um, we have a few questions from Sean. So mm -hmm. the first one, he said, I'm looking to buy an office space with storage open to mixed use. We need 10,000 plus square feet in Sherman Oaks or Burbank area. That's a LA area. Plan is to move my office in there, increase mm -hmm. NOI, flip it and do it again. As you know, prices are sky high. Any ideas of how to hunt for these deals? The brokers have nothing that is value at right now. Yeah, I mean, definitely inventory is very low. Um, what I would recommend, Sean, is um, do your own work, you know, get on LoopNet, CoStar, uh, see what's available for sale and just think out of the box, you know, maybe you want to look at, uh, you know, a flexa space. Uh, maybe you want to look at uh, a bulk uh, industrial that you can add some office uh, to it if there is parking ratio there. Um, and if you still can't find anything for sale that you can repurpose to your use, then I would go look for properties for lease and start trying to lose leasing brokers. Um, and if it's, you know, uh, on the market on LoopNet for lease by owner, even better. And see if you can do a, a you know, lease with option to purchase or just head them up, say, hey, you know, I don't want to lease. I want to buy it. What, you know, what do you think you want for your building? So I know it's a lot of work, a lot of phone calls, a lot of property tours, but that's what I would do. And then question number two from Sean said, what websites or news channels do you read to gauge the health of the market? Oh, it's not a, obviously one website. It's a stock market. The bond market is huge. Uh, real estate's the, one of the most leveraged assets. So the cost of money is directly correlated with the values of properties. 10 year treasury right now is 1.35, um, shockingly low. Um, it's still, you know, more than double what it was a year ago. It was 0.5, um, but that was just a panic. You know, everybody bought bonds because the stock market crashed 30% in March, 2020. But bottom line, uh, I watched the stock market, bond market. I do get a lot of reports from CoStar. And um, I just look at the leasing activity. Every time there is a big bulk sublease 
uh, a space coming to the market. I get alerts uh, from many different websites, but mostly is the bond market, a stock market, and then also leasing activity. Leasing activity tells you where the values are going. So when you start seeing uh, extremely high level of vacancy rates, that tells me that distressed, uh, that property sector is gonna be distressed a year, two years, three years from now. When you start seeing a lot of leasing activity and uh, vacancy rates go down, that tells me values are going up uh, two years, three years from now. So those are the main ones. All right, and then third question, he said, we do a lot of build to rent, BTR, mm -hmm. usually three to four units per lot. We're having a very difficult time getting cash out refi. So we are getting stuff leaving equity in our own capital in the deal. We're making mm -hmm. a seven to 8% cap rate once we do a rate in term refi. Uh, would you hold on these properties or sell and make a profit at this junction of the cycle? Well, I'm not a big fan of holding a property to get 7% of my money. So I would opt to sell if you can 1030 on exchange. Um, but, you know, I'm anxious to see are these uh, built to suit for, I'm guessing is residential since you said three to four units. And residential is, uh, you, you can definitely do a cash out refinance. Now, a lot of lenders don't like to give you cash out. So what you can do, go out and put a second on there. And now you're not doing cash out refinance. You already cashed out with a second. Um, that's one way to go around it. Um, I haven't done it in 10, 15 years. <laughs> I do commercial, but check with the mortgage broker. See if you can put a second on there, wait six months or, or a year, and then just do a rate and term. At this point, you're just combining the two loans, but you've already cashed out by getting a second. And then we got some uh, amazing news from George. So uh, I believe it was Q4 of 2020, George acquired his first commercial property. And he just let us know. Wow. He just locked in his third commercial building system. Hey, George, congratulations. Yeah. That's amazing. It's awesome. Congrats. Love to hear these. All right. Um, next question from Woj Tech. He said, how do you usually calculate the rentable square foot for a tenant versus mm -hmm. the usable square foot for a tenant? Great question. Um, all right, usable square foot is what the tenant's physically using. So you measure from wall to wall interior of the space and that's usable and it's always less than what the rentable or the gross square footage of the property is. Um, what rentable square foot is, it takes the usable and adds a load factor. That's for thickness of the walls, the staircase, elevator, bathrooms, storage, utility rooms, um, electrical room. Uh, so they add all that so that tenants actually pay for all that uh, space. Uh, rentable square foot is not something you can do on your own. I've always uh, you know, had the architect uh, do the measurements for me and they provide you both figures. Um, and you always wanna obviously use the rentable square foot because it's higher. And, uh, but you can do the usable yourself. You just go in the uh, suite, hopefully it's just one room. You measure from uh, wall to wall and you times the, you know, the two figures and that's it, that's your usable. Okay, and then he followed up with another question and asked, do tenants ever complain they pay more square foot than they use in their office space? Sure they do. <laughs> Actually not often, uh, obviously going forward, you're going to see that more and more uh, being the case as, you know, a lot of 
employees, uh, employers are offering the hybrid um, work from home. And obviously they're gonna have less of a footprint. Uh, why would they have less of a footprint? Because when you have two employees having two offices and they're gonna work two days out of the office, now they're gonna share that office. So you eliminate one suite, right? And you have the other one shared between those two employees and they pick which day they're gonna come. And I think that's gonna be the trend with many companies. And that's why the vacancy rate's going super high on office. And that's why it creates a uh, amazing opportunity. All right, we have um, a few questions from James. He said, I've read you should try and underwrite one property a day and hopefully make offers on at least two or three properties per month. So mm -hmm. question number one, how many properties do you actually underwrite per month? Well, you have to define underwrite. Underwrite to me is um, the property meets my criteria. I'm taking a stab at it, basically underwriting it and putting an offer on it. Uh, in that scenario, I would say one or two a month. Um, and usually the price is not uh, where I want it to be, so I don't pursue it. But if you mean uh, how many properties I screen, basically I take a look, eyeball it, uh, that's probably, I would say, 10 to 15 a day. That's my deal flow. All right. Um, question number two, do you use a particular software or Excel spreadsheet when you underwrite or do you use an underwriting template that you've created? Oh, I have a template and it's been, you know, it's evolved over time, but uh, that's also, I think that's already in our, um, is it in our website? Yeah. So uh, yeah. James, that's going to be in your members area training portal under resources. Um, mm. We have yeah. a underwriting template available and it's got a walkthrough video showing you exactly how to use it. Perfect. Yeah, I thought we posted that long ago. Yeah, it's been there for a little bit. So the next question is from George. Um, he said, do you do your investments pay their own way while you're improving and repositioning them? Uh, usually, uh, when I buy properties, typically they're, you know, 60, 70% occupancy. Um, you know, there are cases when it's 50% occupancy and it still has a high cap rate. Uh, like the retail property we're buying, but typically they do, but sometimes they don't. And that's all the function of getting uh, some additional reserves for from the lender, um, interest reserves for the debt payment. And usually we have a projection when we're gonna hit the positive cash flow. And we'll just basically analyze it based on that. But usually they do cover the expenses. All right, then he followed that up and said, and then you put cash into the deal for the expense of the improvements? Uh, usually, yes, but then again, if it's a property that we are going to stabilize and it's uh, significantly underperforming, uh, the lender, we would get a bridge lender and the lender would you know, give us future funding for that. So I wouldn't personally fund it. Awesome, and then uh, lastly, do you ever wind up in a situation where you are carrying the property and having to put in capital for improvements? Sure. <laughs> Not often, but uh, sometimes like this building, obviously I bought 10 years ago. Um, I put you know a lot of money into it. Uh, I bought it with SBA. But uh, of recent, I would say um, like the one in Arizona, I use the cash flow. Yes, positive cash flow. 
the one in Wisconsin we're closing, we're gonna use the cash flow plus some future funding. And the one I'm looking at uh, in Newport uh, for 41 million, we're gonna use future funding from the lender. And then the one I'm buying that I haven't disclosed to anybody yet, I'll find out today, tomorrow. That one I'm gonna have to put, uh, you know, most of it out of my own pocket because it's gonna be owner user and I'm not getting financing. Um, gonna do a cash out refund later, but I gotta take it down more cash, but it all depends. But usually the lender I go with, based on my budgets for CapEx and TILC, they'll give me future funding. Awesome, and then we have uh, Robin. So he asked, how can I find an office building's mm -hmm. estimate value over time for my area? Zillow has a very nice feature that shows a house's price chart over the last mm -hmm. 10 years. I'm looking for something similar to this, but for office buildings in SoCal, um, by city would be even better. Oh, hold tight. Evalue is coming. <laughs> I've actually been developing my own app. It's Evalue. It's basically commercial property evaluation, uh, you know, as Zello does for residential, this does for commercial. But uh, you can go to LoopNet. Um, I'm pretty sure they have re historical reports uh, for submarkets, and uh, it, they charge you for it. I don't know how much it is. Uh, other than that, I don't know which other sites would give you historicals, um, but that's one reason I'm creating a value because uh, really there's no free uh, site. You can go and get historical analysis on a commercial property uh, similar to Zellos. All right, we have uh, questions from Hannah. First one is, was there ever a time during your out-of-state ownership where you wish you were more local to the property to deal with an issue and how did you deal with the issue yourself oh absolutely um um yeah imperial center uh it was a shopping center i bought in ohio back in 2007 and sold it actually i think a year ago but i had a lot of problems getting a you know a competent manager uh, to kind of manage the property for me because it's out of a state, obviously. And I went through three different real estate management companies. It was a very, uh, you know, uh, just a frustrating uh, property for me because it's in a smaller town, Vandalia, Ohio. And uh, when you buy uh, in a smaller towns, there's typically your, uh, you know, the competent big, bigger firms are not, you know, they're not present there. They're in a metro city, so they have to drive two hours to the property. And a lot of these guys are lazy and they will sign up the management contract because they want to charge you the fee, but they often uh, will not show up when you have a problem. So I end up selling the property, but I owned it for 10 or 11 years and I went through three different management companies. And that's sadly, that's big, that's part of the, uh, you know, uh, taking buying the property out of the state. Uh, the best thing to do is buy in a metro city. That's why I love to buy where there is enough density in population and there is enough activity. Then you can just uh, interview uh, three top uh, local management companies and pick one. But if you buy in a small village or a small town, you're likely going to have issues. But the one way you can kind of counterattack that is if the seller has a local handyman that he's been using on the property, I always recommend rehiring that guy. He knows their ins and outs of the building. He knows the tenants. 
and if the tenants are happy with them when you do your tenant interview that would be one of your questions to ask how do you guys like so and so um you know handling the property and that would be your best bet um but other than that um that's one of the cons of buying a property out of state all right and then second question from hannah Mm -hmm. Will we get updated case study info on your two new recent acquisitions? Uh, and then he said, your personal case studies are my favorite aspect of the program. Oh, well, like I said, I just signed an offer on uh, the Arizona property for 5.6 million. So we're going to be opening escrow hopefully this Thursday, Friday. I'll put a little analysis together, uh, how much I spent, how much I put down. And maybe I can share that with you guys next week. And then the other one is 1901 Newport. Um, I believe is the one you're referring to. Uh, that I got acceptance on Friday. And I don't have an analysis on it that I can share with you guys in full yet. But I, I can show you guys um, maybe next week. Uh, I'll put something together. And then we have uh, some questions from Ali. He said, hi, Manny, could you please talk about the leasing activities on the office buildings that you just bought and how it's going? My point is to know how you see demand for office space right now. Well, the only office building I've bought, it's the one in Arizona. We put two small tenants. Um, I renewed the anchor tenant that occupies, you know, I think 30% or so of the building. Uh, that one was a unique uh, opportunity because they had cell tower income and I was able to sell the roofies man for 827,000 and the tenant the anchor tenant had a short-term lease left and a lot of buyers obviously are uh, you know pretty concerned with 30% uh, role on the property and uh, for that reason the seller had priced it at a nine and a half cap so I bought it renewed the tenant and reduce the risk for the investors. So selling at a lower cap. Plus the market has tightened up an office, a smaller, a small deals. A lot of people are in, 10, in 1031 exchange. As a matter of fact, the buyer that's buying it, he sold his multifamily apartment for 10 million. He's in 1031 exchange. So he's desperate to uh, ID a replacement property. So I kind of got lucky, but that was a case study I'm going to put together and share with you guys next week. Um, leasing activity, um, I use the same local leasing broker that was on the property. Um, we didn't really make a big headwind on leasing. I think we went from 85% to 87% occupancy in six months that we owned it. Uh, but the value I created, created was a function of selling the roof easement, renewing the anchor tenant, and reducing a little bit of operating expenses, thereby just selling it at a lower cap. All right, and then you followed it up with any new properties that you have recently purchased or in contract with, which you've already touched on. Yeah, 1901 is my biggest one for 41 million, I'm excited for. Awesome, so we'll go ahead and hop into the comments. And our first one is from Benjamin. It's uh, great to see you here, Benjamin, as well. He said, what sort of impacts could you see on the domestic US market because of the recent Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae Supreme Court ruling slash crash. How hmm. might this affect the lending market? Uh, Benjamin, I have no idea what you're talking about. 
I don't do residential uh, for that reason. I don't really follow the news on residential site. Um, but yeah, I'll look it up. Um, I don't know about the ruling you're talking about. All right. Sorry. We have another question from Peter. Um, he said, good morning, Manny. I hope everything is well. I'm Thank you, Peter. Foreign accountant. Do you use the big accounting firms such as PwC or Ernest & Young? Mm -hmm. Or what accounting firm or CPA do you use? And then George also said he needs an accountant. <laughs> yeah, never go with the big firms. Um, it's like going to the, it's just an overkill, uh, especially when you're starting out. Even for me that I got a big portfolio in four different states. Um, I use a boutique firm, CPA. It's called Wirtz & Company. It's right here in Orange County. And I've always used a boutique firm. Boutique firm meaning they're a group of CPAs of maybe 20, maybe max 30. Um, not 500, like these, you know, Ernest and Young, but they probably have 2,000 CPAs. But those seem to be an overkill. They're very expensive. Every time you call to ask a question, they're kind of like attorneys. You know, they book the minutes and they send you a bill. Um, find somebody local. Um, I can refer you guys the firm I use. Um, they're not they're not on the cheap side and they're not on the high end. Uh, they're still not cheap, you know, for probably if you got um, a, a property, a million or $2 million worth of real estate is probably not, uh, you know, it's an overkill again uh, for your uh, size of portfolio. Um, but go with a boutique CPA firm. There's a lot of good accountants you guys can find. Um, again, if you want, I can share uh, words and companies info through the group. All right. Then we have a question from Brendan. Said, do you have a favorite bank to use for a business account? Uh, I keep switching as the Wells Fargo I used since 1992. But for the past uh, six years, I used First Foundation Bank. Um, I don't know if you're in California or not, but First Foundation Bank is mostly right down here. They're not nationwide yet. Uh, Infinity Bank is another local bank to me that, um, you know, that's a bank that gave me $4 million line of credit unsecured. And I have some depository relationship with them on as well. Um, those are really the top two. I mean, we use Chase, we still use Wells Fargo, but mainly First Foundation Bank. All right. And then uh, Peter also asked um, a few more questions. Mm -hmm. So he said, Number one, what is needed to be done to convert a general office building to medical building for the property that you're going into escrow? Yeah, it's just more TIs. Uh, but the, <clears throat> the biggest obstacle conversion for medical to office is parking. Um, office generally requires three to one, uh, three spaces for every 1,000 square feet you rent to the tenant. Medical is six to one. And again, this will vary from county and city to, to others. But Newport Beach requires, uh, Costa Mesa, sorry, requires six to one. And I have 4.4 to one. And um, you'll be able to analyze how you can reconfigure, repurpose your rent rule to achieve maximum rents uh, by converting maximum space to medical. But it really just, just more TIs office costs maybe 20 to $30 a foot TI. Medical is more 70 to $100 a foot TI. But you also get a lot higher rent, which will reflect a much bigger gain on your resale. 
All right. So second question you already answered. What is the parking ratio you look for in medical office building? Mm. Six to one. Um, question three. Did you sell the whole roofing rights for your building in Arizona or the cell tower contract? No. Also, oh, go ahead. Uh, also, how did they value the roofing rights at 800K and how many cell towers did you have? Mm -hmm. I had two cell towers uh, collecting about 3,500 bucks a month. And we sold at a 5.8 cap. And yes, you sell the, uh, you sell the cell tower leases along with the rights to the roof via the roof easement and you do a profit sharing you're essentially giving up the roof rights uh to for to any cell towers in the future for 50 years or 55 years whatever the term of the easement is but whatever they bring on new in addition to two that they bought from you that you do a profit sharing so um it's like 60 40 65 35 whatever you negotiate um uh, but those two cell towers I sold, they get to keep their income going forward for next 50 years. And they have the rights to put additional cell tower companies on the roof where they would have to pay me 65% going forward. But essentially it's their entire roof for purpose of cell tower only, not solar. You still have the right to do solar or other things on there. All right, and then um, also brought up the question, what is the budget you do for TI for an office building? Oh, all depends. Um, typically, we walk all the vacancies with a leasing broker and it's suite by suite. Some suites are, you know, white box. They got a new ceiling grid, LED lights. It just needs flooring and paint. Some suites you got to gut out and ceiling tiles, the uh, <laughs> electrical, is uh, outdated. So in anywhere from 20 to 40 bucks, typically is what you would put in. All right, and then the last question is, uh, any real estate property management and leasing agent you recommend in Houston? Oh, Houston. Yeah, uh, I love Michelle Wogan uh, with Transwestern, if it's an office. She doesn't deal with uh, low rise, she has a lot of high rises. She managed my portfolio when I had you know, a million square feet in Houston. Um, if it's for low rise, um, I have to think about that. But Michelle Wogan is who managed all my uh, high rises and she did a great job. All right. Well, with that, we had our 30 minutes. Uh, this was great. Uh, it was great seeing you guys and good questions. And next week, I'll do a case study on the Arizona building. Uh, do a deep dive so you guys can look under the hood what I did and give me a scorecard. <laughs> All right. Be safe. Be well. See you guys next week. Thank you, guys.